You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your son that took the debt, our debt, Lord God, and took my place, our place at the cross, um, wrapping us in his righteousness, taking our sinfulness and bringing life into our hearts. Thank you for the work of salvation. Thank you that we were depraved. We were uh, infected sin at every level, but Father, you stepped in and you injected grace through Jesus in our depravity and you saved us. And Father, I know that you want to do exactly that same thing, that supernatural thing, bringing people from death to life some more. That's what you do and we thank you for that. If anyone here, Lord God, in, in, in this community, in this crowd here today, Lord God, needs that, would you please bring salvation into their lives? I pray this in Jesus' name. And Father, this short talk, this short sermon, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, you would take it and that you would bear much, God, and may I step aside and, and may you, Jesus, be seen and celebrated in, in our time together. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to start with a story and, uh, that I heard this morning. Actually, Emma, my wife, uh, uh, sent me a story and I was just listening to it on the way here at the park. This guy, older guy, uh, flying from Sydney, Australia. I don't know where he was flying to Europe or, or he was an older guy and he's got this massive heart attack right in the airport. And he, uh, he by the time the paramedics come, he's breath in his lungs, his heart stops beating, he's done, he's dead. Uh, the paramedics, they try to uh, re, uh, resuscitate him and even, you know, electrically shock his heart into life. And, and apparently, I didn't know this, but they only do it three times here in the U.S. They do it four times in Australia. That particular instance, they did it for 10 times and he still didn't come back to life. He said, okay, well, we're pronouncing him dead. Clinically, he was dead. Um, even in his feet and, 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 and fingers, uh, his blood started to coagulate, right? It was just, he, was, he was just, he was dead, right? He was put in an ambulance and he was taken to, to, the, uh, you know, to the hospital. On the way to the hospital, this is 45 minutes in, he wakes up. So he's been clinically dead for 45 minutes. He wakes up, the, the driver was shocked. The personnel that was with him in the in the in the, in the shocked like what is going on we just witnessed the miracle you were dead for sure you were dead and now you're alive so god brought god brought him from death to life in a physical sense but the crazy part is that a year afterwards he goes he goes to to, to get you know check you know just a regular checkup too specific and after he gets the results back the doctors sit him down and they say listen you had this heart condition uh, and now, after that heart attack, you're absolutely free of it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with your heart anymore. This is a miracle. This is an impossible. And you came back from, from death. Like, we cannot explain it. This is an impossible situation. Why am I sharing this story with you? If you were here with us last Sunday, we talked about depravity. And I think this story kind of illustrates that. Because all of us were this man, and, and 
Christ, we are depraved. We are totally depraved. This is a condition, a virus that everyone is infected by. But this man, in a physical sense, God brought, brought him back to life. And I believe that that's what God wants to do to us. So, so this, again, this, just to summarize what we've learned uh, Sunday, this, this depravity that we talked about, everyone is included in this. No one can be coached out of this. No one can be taught out of this. No one can be disciplined out of this condition. Uh, so, so we are depraved and we, we have these blinders over the eyes of our hearts and they're there. And the only way out of this is supernaturally. Now, again, this is everyone is in this, and not not only that everyone is in this, but every part of our being is infected and affected by sin. That's what we said last Sunday. But what God wants to do, and that's exactly what we're gonna look at, and we're answering the question of how did God inject grace into our depravity? Because this is exactly what he did. Just like this man came back to life, God brought him back to life in a, in a physical sense. God wants to bring us to life in a spiritual sense from death to life. And that's a look at today. How did God inject grace into our depravity, into our impossible situation? And the answer is through Christ's intervention. And that's the title of the message today. So in a simple way, what I'd like to do today is look at four things when it comes to God injecting into our depravity. God injected four things when it comes to God injecting this, this element of grace into our impossible situation. And the first thing that I, wanna, that, I want, that I wanna start with, a thing that's so helpful and so healthy for us to always remember is this, that grace, you and me, but it wasn't for Jesus. Grace is free for you and me, but it was not for Jesus. And just so you know that I'm not just making this stuff up, we're going to look at all of these four points. We're going to look at a section from the Bible. Again, just to know that I'm not making this stuff up. This is from the word of God and ultimate authority. Amen. Philippians chapter two, verses seven and eight. So grace is free for you and me, but it was not free for Jesus. And this is what the word of God says talking about Jesus, but emptied himself, again, talking about Jesus, by taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How crazy is that? Have you ever paid for someone's meal, lunch or dinner, uh, only to have the person insist on Anyone in that situation? A bit of resistance is natural, even polite. It's like, no, no, I'm going to pay you back. No, no, okay, okay, fine, fine. If you want to pay for it, that's, that's polite, you know, uh, right, natural. But if the person you're trying to bless out of the goodness of your heart absolutely refuses, you actually feel dishonored and insulted. Have you been there? It's like, man, let me just pay for you. I want to pay for you. No, no, no. Some people think that when they receive God's grace, that was injected into our brokenness, into our depravity, to deal with our, our, deal with our sin, to cover for our sin. They feel that they're taking advantage of God. They do it with the feeling that they are frustrating God or insulting his generosity. Like, no, no, I mean, if you would only know my past, like, nah, that's not for me. This may sound like good, 
but they are dead wrong because grace was not free from Jesus. It was not free for him. God's plan for injecting grace into our brokenness to save us was not free for him. It cost them everything. It cost them everything. And that is precisely that freely. The most insulting thing that you and I could do is reject this gift and say, God, I got this. Nah, nah, that's fine, that's fine. No thanks. Please don't tell me Jesus was beaten and mutilated and tortured on that cross so we could try to save ourselves good deeds. Oh, come on, right? Don't cheapen Jesus' sacrifice by trying to pay him back. You'll never be, you will never be able to do so anyways. We can never do anything of equal value of what Christ has done on the cross for us. Not even close. The passage that we just read points to God's sacrificial love and how he humbled himself. We just read that, how he, he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross to make God visible to us to present God to us, present to present God's amazing plan for saving us from our, our brokenness. Friends, the humiliating part is Jesus, is that Jesus, the son of the living God, he lowered himself. He lowered himself to even step foot on, on this planet, this fallen planet. But not only that, he put on skin and bones. He put on a, a human, came human. That's, that's what the passage that, that we just read said. I mean, just think about the infinitely righteous and holy Jesus being worshiped by myriads of angels and creatures for an eternity before he created us. And he leaves all of that behind to fall on earth. Not only that, by becoming a human being and not only that, but dying for his rebellious creation, you and I, at the hands of his creation. That's how much he humbled himself. The most insulting thing that you and I could do is reject this costly gift and say, no thanks God, I got this. So grace is fully free for you and me, but it wasn't for Jesus, it was not. So don't cheapen Jesus' sacrifice by trying to we're never meant to live this life with Christ by trying to win his love or win his grace. That's an impossibility. We are called to live this life because we are loved, because we are saved, because we are brought into this life, a new life with him. That's why we wanna live for him. So this grace is free for you and me, but it was not for Jesus. The second thing that I want us to, to, um, to look at today a thing that is so healthy for us to remember and remind ourselves on a daily basis is this. Grace solved the sin problem. Not only that grace is free for you and me, but not for Jesus, but grace has solved the sin problem. Let me read a passage from Romans 6, just one verse. Romans 6, verse 6. And it says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him and here we go, that the body of sin, meaning the totality of sin, the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. How awesome is that? That's amazing. So grace took care of the sin problem. This is the that we're talking about. This 
that we have at so many levels. And I want to get into that a little bit. But on the, one of the last things that Jesus said as he hung on the cross has been ringing in my, in my mind lately. It's a phrase that changed forever how men relates to God. And it has changed myself, the way I view and understand God and the way I, I view my sin. And Jesus said, and I'm sure you've heard this, it is finished. It is finished. In other words, grace has been injected in our brokenness and God made a way. So many things that we can say here, what it is finished means. In other words, sin has been dealt with. Your depravity has been dealt with. The very thing that separated you from God has been dealt with, has been removed. And now you can live with God. You can live in his presence. His mission is finished, accepted and live that life. It means so much. Now, the more I think about this powerful, potent little phrase that is finished, the more convinced I am that we need a bigger estimation of who God is and what he's done for us at the cross. Amen. I mean, some of us are so overwhelmed. I know as you're sitting here, I know because I'm a, I'm a professional at being a human being just like you are, right? We are so overwhelmed. You are so overwhelmed by the enormity and horror of, of your sinfulness, of, of your failures and mistakes and, and shortcomings. Oh, I look at my life, see that. And that you can't believe Jesus could love you or save you, right? Like not for me, maybe for him, because he's, you know, he goes to church on a daily basis and he reads his Bible. I know his life, but me, no. It's impossible that Jesus could love me or save me. See, that's a problem. That's a f problem than the sin itself, than your depravity itself. Let me explain. Sin has three major components. Three major components. Guilt, the guilt of sin, the power of sin, and of sin. Three major components. Now first, the guilt. The guilt of sin refers to, to my status of guilty when I sin or violate God's law, right? That just, we're just guilty, right? For example, if I sleep around, I'm guilty of, of adultery and that's a nasty sin. The power of sin now is another matter. This refers to an inner drive to do what is wrong. Something internal pulls us towards something we know to be wrong. And that's, that's the power, the power of sin. In, in that case, in the case of our example, sleeping around, sin is seen in my weakness to say no. Or in my desire and passion that burns within me to, to satisfy myself and also in my disregard to honor God or to honor my wife and my family, right? That has to deal with the power of sin. Finally, the effect of sin refers to the consequences of my horrible actions, of my sins. I mean, if I commit adultery, the effect will be at least one broken family, a broken marriage, pain and suffering, only for your spouse, but for the kids. You lose the trust of your wife and your kids, a damaged community, damaged church. Should I go on? Should I go on? No, I'll, I'll stop there. And kind of a side note, all of that for nothing, by the way. Yeah, that should make us think. But anyways, my point is, but sin 
always has an effect, will always tear a path of destruction in our life, on ourselves, on others, or both. Sometimes the effects are delayed, but sooner or later they will show up in our lives. You are, that's a guarantee. Some sins, I mean, even in the one that, the example that I gave you, you know, adultery, but in some other cases, even like, you know, deeper sins in a fact, the effects are horrible. I mean, you know, sexually abused child, the battered wife, the victim of rape or murder. We're talking about some heavy sins here, right? So, often do, and this is the problem, what we often do is we approach sin backwards. So we talked about the guilt, the power, and the effects. What we do though is we deal with sin, we approach sin backwards, and we try to control or diminish the effects without looking at the guilt that comes from within us. We never deal with that. That internal pull is still there. The engine that, that pushes you to do horrible things is still there and you still feel horrible too. You feel guilty. Additionally, God loves us. Ignore sin entirely, he would be unjust. Let me explain. That's never a viable solution to the sin problem because God is perfect and most of us would be in favor of God overlooking our sin, right? <laughs> you would be. But when we start thinking about God overlooking the Hitler or Stalin, we're like, no, 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 not him, not him, Lord, not him. Or maybe our neighbor that we hate with a passion. Not him, Lord. You can punish him, but not me, right? Now we start to see how impossible it is for God to just sweep sin under the rug. If God overlooks sin, then God himself is evil. By definition, a good God must be what? Just. Just. So then the solution is, because we all have a problem, we're depraved, we're sinful, we're broken. The solution, Jesus. Jesus is the, the solution, the only solution. My point is the solution to everything, especially our sin problem, our depravity. See, sin is a big deal, is a huge thing. It is an impossible wall to cross over when you consider that all sin is rebellion against God. It's a big deal when you realize we often are slaves to our sin, right? Doing things we really don't want to do. It's a big thing when you look around the world and see all the pain and suffering that sin causes. It's a big deal when you realize that death exists because sin exists. But let me just say this. Sin's num sin numbered in Christ. Let me explain. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus' death dealt with the guilt of sin. Remember we talked about the guilt, the power, and the effects? Well, Jesus' death on the cross dealt with the guilt of sin. Did you know that? The guilt of sin is resolved by grace that God injected into our brokenness. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we are now declared righteous. We're declared innocent, not guilty anymore. A righteous meaning in right standing with a holy and a perfect God. You're innocent because Jesus took all of our illness and depravity at the cross and he wraps us, he wrapped us in his what? In his righteousness. But not only that, in Christ, not only the guilt of sin is resolved, but the power of sin is broken so we can choose differently now. So we can choose to 
more for him. Now, you don't, you don't have to be addicted to immorality anymore. In Christ, you don't have to get angry and violent anymore. You have a choice. In Christ, the power of sin doesn't have that power to control you anymore as it before. If it does, it's because you don't believe the truth that at the resurrection of Christ, the power of sin is broken. So if we do, it's because you don't believe the truth and we simply just choose to let it control us. That's why. And also, with Christ, being in Christ, we will sin less. And so the effects of sin will lessen too. We'll talk more about this in our last park service, the very last one, uh, the new life in Christ through, through his spirit. So the guilt of sin resolves, right? It is resolved by grace and righteous, right? And not guilty anymore. Then the power of sin is broken in our life that we can choose differently. We can choose to live for God now. And as we walk with Christ, we will sin less. And so the effects of sin will lessen too. Before Jesus, and I think we need people, all people could do was try their hardest and offer periodic sacrifices to sort of make up for their guilt. This is not just a new problem. Every, every, again, every human being born on planet earth is infected by this depravity, by this condition, right? So they would kill sheep and birds. Any, you know, pretty much the first few books in the Bible, you've, you probably came across some animal sacrifices, right? They would, they would just kill sheep, birds, bulls as a symbol of how serious their sin was and how guilty people were, just like we are today, nothing different. That sounds barbaric to us today, doesn't it? It was the best they could do. You might be wondering, what, what, you know, what good did it do to kill an animal? Exactly, you know? That's why they had to offer sacrifices all the time, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And even with all of that, this, they still never dealt with the heart of the issue, the power in our hearts that produces sin on a daily basis, their own sinful nature that was never dealt with. The sacrifices were meant to remind people they needed a solution, a permanent solution for sin. Ultimately, all these sacrifices pointed to what? To Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, him on the cross taking our sin to give us life. Just, just listen to just one verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. It says this, for by that one offering, you know, referring to Jesus' offering on the cross, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. It was the ultimate sacrifice. His death was sufficient for all sin, all the time, for all time. It replaced this ineffective and insufficient animal sacrifices of the past. Once again, is sin a big deal? Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, because it killed just like that guy died in the Sydney airport. He just dropped dead, right? Because it keeps us dead in our condition of depravity with no hope whatsoever. But the problem has been solved. The solution has been provided. The answer has been found. His name and his essence is grace. Can I get an amen? So... Grace is free for you and me, but it was not free for Jesus. Grace solved all of our sin problem. And now the third thing that I want us to 
talk about just for a few minutes is the key is a simple faith in Jesus Christ that will propel you at the foot of the cross. The key is a simple faith in Christ Jesus that will propel you at the foot of the cross. Romans 5, I'll read two verses. Romans 5, this is what God's word says. Therefore, since we have been justified by what? By faith, there you go. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also, we have also obtained access by what? By faith, and check this out. Grace in which we stand. How awesome is that? And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So the key is a simple, vibrant, powerful faith in Jesus Christ that will propel us at the foot of the cross. Now, whether we avail ourselves of God's sin is another matter. <laughs> of course, whether we accept Jesus' finished work at the cross to save us by faith is a different matter. And by the way, some of the power, because I, I have to say this, some of the power and the effects of sin will only be fully when Jesus returns and he deals with sin and evil once and for all. But Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus brings hope for a broken and a needy world and it's called grace. Romans says that where sin abounded, even more. Jesus' solution to sin was his own death, and that is where our hope for the world must be placed. We don't trust in our efforts to do good or in education or, or a better military or in a more system. Those things are helpful, sure, but they aren't the answer. Jesus is the answer. So the sermon, this third point is a call to a simple faith, a call to a vibrant faith. This is not a call to, let me just add Jesus to my business. It doesn't work like that. He's either Lord of your life or he's Lord over nothing in your life. So this third point is, this is a simple you're called to a simple faith in Jesus Christ that will propel you at the foot of the cross to accept this amazing gift that he has. But will you accept it? Will you trust in his finished work? Will you give up your sinful life to follow him and to let him guide your life and, and, and lead your life? When Jesus died on the cross, he provided access God, to have a relationship with God. He solved the sin problem. He paid for the sin of anyone, anyone who chooses to accept him. Is that you? Is that me? We would do well to stop focusing on our sin, our failures, our weak past, and our legalistic attempts to live a holy life and to impress God and simply relish the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is where grace is found. That is where we receive forgiveness for the past and power to live in the present the way we're supposed to. So will you? Will you accept this gift? This gift of grace? Will you trust this finished work to make you whole and righteous and right standing of a holy and a perfect God? To make you a son and a daughter of the most high God? Will you accept a leave? 
gravity behind you, the way of life, the way that you've been living life and accept the life that he has in store for you now, will we do that? So grace is free for you and I. It wasn't for Christ. Grace solved our sin problem. But this is a call to a simple faith, a vibrant faith. Jesus Christ that will propel us at the foot of the cross to accept this gift. And then number four, we are meant to live in freedom. We're meant to live in freedom, friends. Romans 6, verse 7. This is actually a continuation passage that we just read. Just check this out. Romans 6, verse 7. For one who has died has been what? Set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Talking about the new life, a new life that he has in store for all of us here. If we read the gospels, and I'm ending with this, there's a story that you may have heard, a woman caught in adultery. Pretty popular story that is preached on. And the religious leaders wanted Jesus to condemn this lady. The law, the law would say, yeah, stone her to death. She knew she was dead. She knew that for her, okay, this is the end of me. Now, sounds a lot like you and me, doesn't it? <laughs> In our state of depravity without Christ, sounds, this woman sounds just like your situation and my situation apart from Christ, right? We're cornered, there's no hope, right? Her accusers had her cornered, there was no escape. Sin defined her and condemned her, right? Then Jesus told her accusers that whoever has no sin should throw the first stone. Well, arrogant dudes, arrogant men, forced to admit their own sinfulness, and they left one by one in embarrassment. And then Jesus, in a powerful way, he turns around and he asks this woman, where are your accusers, woman? And she says, and Jesus continues, didn't even one of them condemn you? What happened? No, Lord, she replied. And Jesus says, neither do I go and sin no more. In one instant, in one instant, the woman went from total condemnation. I'm dead. I'm caught. There's no escape for me. No hope. One moment, total condemnation to total just like that. I'm sure her posture was totally different. Would you say? <laughs> very different when she walked out of there than when she came in there. Her confidence was restored, I'm sure. She, she had found hope for a better life. Again, look. We have a problem. We have a condition. Look at your depravity, your sinfulness, your brokenness. God, God's judgment is coming for us. That's the reality. Because he wouldn't be a just God if his judgment wouldn't come for you. But, a huge but, his wrath against sin, your sin and my sin, was absorbed, was appeased by Jesus' death on the cross. For, for those who accept the sacrifice by faith, he no longer looks at your sin. And he actually sees Jesus. He looks at you and he sees his righteousness. The Bible says that he who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, man, he was made sin that we would become the righteousness of God. How amazing is that? God looks at me and he doesn't see my depravity. 
but because I'm in Christ and I, and I, and I, and he gave me this faith and I acted on this faith. Yes, I will accept his gift of life. Jesus wraps his righteousness around me. And he wants to do the same to you. Would you embrace this truth in reality and fully trust for you? And, and, and so just like this hopeless woman, you can start living your life for the one who gave his life for you. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.